And by the time I got to year four, I was like, this is going to happen. <laughs> in a year, I can quit my job, having replaced the majority of my income. So I, I basically worked two jobs for okay. those five, that, you know, that overlap during that five-year period. But it happened, and I haven't looked back, and I'm so glad I can do this full-time. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 115 of the Commando Voice. Today, I speak with the featured Artist of the Month for October. Please welcome Elizabeth Person. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Camino Voice podcast, where I interview folks around Camino Island and beyond. If you want to stay up to date on events, businesses, and even hear a little history of this area, subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends. Thanks for listening. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Commando Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. And welcome back to the podcast. Uh, thanks, you guys, for those of our uh, my loyal listeners. Um, I know there's at least three of you out there, so I appreciate it. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I just want to say thanks real quick um, for, for you guys to continue to support. Um, and also, if you guys want to share the podcast, um, I'm still trying to really figure out how to grow the podcast, get it out there so more and more people, uh, specifically the Islanders here on Camino Island. Um, we've got you know a lot of people here on this island, the Stanwood Camino area. And um, yeah, I'd love to get more of those people uh, here on the podcast, listening to it, uh, finding out more about this community. So uh, if you guys have any people you can share this with, I'd really appreciate it. Um, yeah. So today I get to speak with uh, Elizabeth Person. Uh, she is the featured artist of the month in the loft, which is the upstairs of the marketplace uh, for the month of October. Um, and uh, so upon recording this, we've already actually sold two of her paintings, including the original Kameno uh, painting that she references in this podcast. So uh, you can check it out on the website and she does have prints available, but just know the original one that was part of the show has already sold. Um, which is unfortunate because it was such a cool map. Um, I mean, not unfortunate, very fortunate. I'm really happy, but sad that you guys don't get to see it. But um, you can check out prints of those still online. Um, but I loved speaking with Elizabeth. Um, uh, actually, my, my wife had found Elizabeth Person's work uh, on Instagram and, and looking at the maps and stuff that she made. And then, uh, you know, really wanted to bring her into the marketplace. And, and when we eventually did, we moved through her postcards and all the different things that she had. She moved through them very quickly. Um, and then Lydia, uh, who manages the loft upstairs, wanted to have her as the featured artist of the month. And so um, that's already seemed like it's going very well there as well. But one of the things that I really enjoyed speaking to Elizabeth about was um, the amount of planning that she had moving into being an artist. Um, we all live in this world that I think we're in this instant gratification culture and we always expect things to happen. You know, two years seems like a long time for us. Like, yeah, in two years, I expect to, to be able to do X, whatever that is. Um, and she had a five-year plan that she was working to, through from working a job that she did enjoy but wanted to really move into this art thing. Um, and so she, you know, as she checked those boxes, then she knew she was ready to step out, step out on her own. Um, and so we talk a little bit about that. Uh, she gets into a lot of the different um, art things that she's done, uh, as well as her creative process. Uh, and we dive into how she went about getting the names and stuff for the Camino map. So um, anyways, really good conversation. Um, so without further ado, here's my conversation with Elizabeth Person. 
Hey Islanders and welcome to another episode of the Command of Voice. Today I'm here with the featured artist of the month for the month of October. Please welcome uh, Elizabeth Person. Oh, I probably got that wrong. No, that's perfect. It's a weird last name. Okay. <laughs> Very Scandinavian, and it's uh, down the years, it's just person. Okay, so, cool. Yeah. Do you pronounce it person when you're talking? Yep, I do. Okay. Yeah. Back cool. in the day, it was person, but okay. now it's just person. Nice. All right. Well, before we get started, tell us a little bit about Elizabeth. Sure. Well, I am an illustrator based in Everett, Washington, and I grew up in Snohomish County, so this is my home area, and I've always loved art and drawing and I'm thrilled to be a full-time artist. I was a graphic designer for about 10 years and okay. then made the transition to full-time art about four years ago. Okay. But it was a long time in the making. Yeah. So, um, that's, that's me in a nutshell, I guess. Nice. Very cool. Um, so you said you grew up in Snohomish County. Uh, what Did you grow up in Snohomish or just in the surrounding areas? Yeah, I grew up in unincorporated Snohomish County, between, okay. right be smack between Marysville, Granite Falls, and Lake Stevens. Okay. So we had a Lake Stevens address, Marysville School District. It was a funny location. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Nice. How was that growing up in that area? Um, it was wonderful. Um, it, I grew up in an air park, uh, which Frontier Air Park, which I don't know if a lot of people have heard of, but it's a community where um, about 80 homes share a private airstrip, okay. which sounds super fancy, but it, it was quite the gamut of homes and reasons that people live there. Mm -hmm. And my dad is a private pilot, and my growing up, my grandparents lived in North Dakota, and we'd fly from our house directly to their farm every summer to go visit them. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a, a more affordable way to travel back in the day with the four of us since my dad was a pilot. Right. And uh, it was, so it was really rural and beautiful and quiet. I didn't realize that. That until I now when I go and visit home I'm like it's so quiet here it's yeah. really lovely yeah very cool so um what type of plane did you guys take when you would fly it was a 1959 Piper Comanche okay plane. so a little four-seater and uh planes are there aren't a ton of new manu newly manufactured small planes I, this this could be wrong but I should say a lot of the flying fleet is very old and okay. it's just maintained meticulously yeah so it was a very old plane that had been updated okay and is it one you guys just rented as whenever you went out there then? No, my dad had it. Oh, yeah, nice. he owned it. Yeah. And okay. um, it's a, a very old aircraft like that is about the same cost as like a sports car, surprisingly. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. So does, uh, was he the one that kept it and everything? Yep. Yep. Yeah. And you work with a certified mechanic every year to do an annual with yep. private private planes. And the reason I'm going into this is because it's relevant with what I do now. Well, <laughs> that's what I was kind of wondering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was that um, as a kid... Um, I guess, first of all, as a kid, was that weird? For, it's not weird because it would have been normal for you, but was that something like every time that you did the flight, was it something that you guys really looked forward to? Oh, that's a great question. I, you know, it was kind of my normal, like going in the plane to visit grandpa and grandma. There are photos of me as a baby sleeping in the plane. Uh, it was just our, our experience. And um, my grandpa had been a, a aviation mechanic in World War II. And I just was surrounded by people in aviation, you know, and of course, being near Boeing, there are a lot of private pilots in this area. Yeah. And I didn't think too much about it. But I've, I have always loved maps. And there were always maps in the house, like of navigation maps and aerial maps. And I think that 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 has really appealed to me because now I specialize in, in illustrating maps and in yeah. particular aerial maps. So I, I've spent a lot of time in the air and I think that influenced me heavily. Yeah. Was that when you were talking with like friends and stuff growing up, were they ever, did they think it was weird that you just would fly to see your grandparents and stuff? That I, I 
I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I guess uh, you know I I had a lot of the same friends growing up my whole life, and mm-hmm. you know they they'd all been in the airplane, and I I think it was just a weird normal thing. Like some people have a boat, and some people have an old airplane. <laughs> <laughs> okay, very cool. So um, you grew up in that area. Then when you graduated high school, what was kind of your plan after that? Yeah, I had narrowed. I knew I loved art, but I was also interested in other things. Mm-hmm. So I went to when I was. I wanted to go to college and I was looking at a school where I could either study history, art, or education. So okay. I thought I want, might want to be a teacher, might want to be a, a history major or teacher, and then might want to be an artist. Okay. And I ended up pretty quickly just loving art classes and specializing in illustration. And yeah. my parents were very supportive and <clears throat> I felt like they never doubted I could make a living doing art. Okay. And I have to, that's just such a rare thing among yeah. so many art majors. Right. <laughs> People are often discrediting it or, um, you know, there are challenges sometimes to finding a full-time career in the arts, but there are challenges in every industry and I think it's really possible. So I want to do a little thank you to my parents and <laughs> encouragement to anyone who's listening to um, pay attention to their, to the, the possible careers in the arts. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, uh, I mean, it is, it's what you're saying is true. Like when it comes to any career or any path that you end up taking, um, there's always risks, risks, there's always these different things you have to deal with. Um, and I think the art community has ex- maybe not expanded, but just the opportunities have expanded in, in what they're needed in now. I think that's true. I think that's a, a positive contribution of social media mm-hmm. is is the access to arts yeah. and the new interest in handmade items because people are tired of, you know, not, they don't want to order everything from Amazon and have it delivered the next day. Right. And they are very interested. People are very interested in the process of making art mm-hmm. and the how-to and the the back the background that yeah. you don't always see when you go to a gallery and see a finished painting. Right. And those are really easily expressed through social media. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I, I think we've gone through the age of like, you know, probably like 80s and 90s where they had just big prints of big, whether it was art, you know, reprints or uh, even just nice photos or pictures, stuff like that, like. Uh, a lot of that stuff, I think, is now getting closer to like, okay, we've everyone's seen the manufacturer. Now you can find that, at like, you know, Ross or whatever, and just, but, but people are now more aiming towards like, like local artists or um, different things like that. Like again, like you're saying, they want to be connected to it and not just have a nice looking picture on the wall, but like have more than just that. Yeah, yeah. So. I, I feel like it's a it's a great time to be in the arts. Yeah, very cool. So. Um, so you started going to college and, and really enjoyed the art classes. As that was progressing, what was kind of, you know, as you talked with professors, um, fellow students, what was kind of your your goal of once you were gra- uh, planning to graduate and everything? I got really interested in publishing and the whole publishing industry. Mm-hmm. I would say my dream was to illustrate a children's book at the time, but I was also really interested in the art, like the business of art, like yeah. like how does a book get published and how can I be part of that? So my plan after college was to move to the East Coast because almost the, the vast majority of publishing houses are in Boston and New York. Yeah. And that was my plan. But okay. then I, I moved back home because I went to college in the Midwest in Indiana and I was okay. just ready to be back in the Northwest for right. a little while. So I moved back home and I accidentally got a gig through a family friend doing a graphic design. And my interview was do you know how to turn on a Mac computer? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I got the gig, which turned into a full-time job um, as a package designer for a boutique candy company. 
Okay. So I designed What's like, the candy company? Um, the candy company is no more, but Aww. they, uh, yeah, <laughs> they were out of Woodenville and they, we would do private labeling for like Nordstrom or Target and put their designs on our product. Yeah. And it was a really great job. I learned a ton and they let, you know, I learned on the job. I learned from my printers. I learned from the vendors. I learned from, I was the only graphic designer there. I learned from the internet. <laughs> so, uh, I, I'm thankful for the experience of that job. And then that led to, I worked for a children's company for seven years in Linwood okay. in in-house creative team. And okay. that was also a really positive experience. So I did graphic design, but I also, you know, in hindsight was learning so much about business and management, project coordination, how to work with a sales team, how to work with a CEO and yeah. all that sort of thing. And I'm really grateful for that experience. But I got pretty itchy about, um, I don't know, maybe three years into that, mm -hmm. just thinking like, I enjoy graphic design, but this was not what I planned to do, you yeah. know, as a kid, or this isn't what I studied in college. And so I, I really felt like I hit a crossroads and kind of boiled it down to either I need to go back to school to, to get more education and do what I really want to do. And I kept coming back to history and art and mm -hmm. education, or I need to try to become a full-time artist. Cause that's been my dream since I was a kid. Okay. So I thought about it for about a year and I decided that I was going to make a, I was like, I got to try being an artist. I'm going to be mad at myself if I don't try doing this. Yeah. And so for me, being an, being an artist, I'm putting that in quotes, meant supporting myself fully, like all my income coming from making art and being able to do that confidently, you know, not, not stressed out. Right. So that was my, that was to me, that's what being a full time, that's what being an artist meant. So I made a five-year plan of here's how I think I can transition from full-time graphic design to full-time art. Yeah. And it started out with little things like open an Etsy shop, you know, do at the time I was taking on a lot of freelance graphic design in the evenings. And I thought, what if this is art time? So yeah. I started spending one night a week just making art. Okay. And that was, the, I had pretty modest goals the first year. And then it got pretty outrageous. Like, <laughs> you know, make $5,000 for my Etsy shop and, you know, reduce my hours at work down to four days a week. And um, year by year, I started ticking all those things off. Yeah. And by the time I got to year four, I was like, this is going to happen. <laughs> In a year, I can quit my job having replaced the majority of my income. So I, I basically worked two jobs for okay. those five, that, you know, that overlapped during that five-year period. But it happened, and I haven't looked back, and I'm so glad I can do this full-time. Yeah. Um, but I just want to underline it took a lot of planning, and yes. it, it took a lot of preparation, and it took a lot of hard work to get the momentum going. And then it then it got easier. Yeah. But um, it's still hard, but it's <laughs> it's awesome to know that I can do it like right. with confidence, that this is a way I can support myself, and I'm confident that until I choose not to or something crazy happens, it'll be what I continue to do. Yeah. Well, and I want to, what you were mapping out there, I think is just so important. Um, we, we obviously live in an age where everything is like, and you know, immediate gratification and all these different things. Um, and, and even as an artist, again, you were, you knew what your goal was, you knew what you wanted to do. Um, and just the fact that mapping out those five years and saying, okay, so year one, this is what I'm looking at year two. This is what I'm looking at. It's, I think when we're looking at either career changes or things like that, like I know I've talked with a lot of people that, you know, decide, you know what, I really want to work this type of job because if I work this type of job, I can do, you know, I can work from home or wherever I am or I can, I can travel and they have these ideas, but they end up, they're like, okay, so in two years I want to do this, like fully transition careers to this. And like, that's just not realistic. 
And right. For like almost any career, that's not realistic. Right. And I think it's unrealistic in two ways. Often you don't have the skills yet that you're going to mm-hmm. need. And then often you don't have the business savvy or time it takes to develop a business. Yeah. Like you can't just make well, you can, but if you want to make money from your art, you can't just make art and people are going to buy it. Like that's not how it works. It takes time to build your audience, to promote yourself, to create a brand, like a logo, mm-hmm. um, to create a website. Like that all takes time. Yeah. And so it, I think it's naive to just jump right into it in my experience. Yeah. And I will say some people can, some people do that and it works for them because yeah. they're, they, they're like an all in kind of person. <laughs> I'm a planner yeah. and I'm a low risk, a low risk tolerance person. So yeah. that, that's what worked for me. And I, I do think that it's, it can happen more easily than people think if they take the time to map it out. Yeah. So what did year one, two and three kind of look like for you when you were getting started? Well, um, I started out with that one night in the studio and I actually met with a friend and we would paint together for the the accountability. And then it became really easy. Like Monday nights was art night. And then Tuesday nights became art night because I'd get into a project. And I should say during that time, I I didn't know what my medium was going to be. I, at the time I worked in acrylic paint and I eventually, like now I work exclusively in ink and watercolor. Okay. And I had done a little bit of watercolor, but it wasn't my favorite. Watercolor is messy. It's hard to control. It's yeah. It's got a mind of its own. It wasn't my favorite. <laughs> Acrylic is my jam. Drawing is my jam where you can, you can erase, you can change, you can paint over. But I loved how watercolor looked. And as I kind of developed this informational art style, I realized pen and ink is or ink and watercolor is perfect because yeah. I can be really precise and careful and write on my drawings with ink pen. And then I can add spontaneity and color and beauty through the watercolor. Yeah. So that all like finding my style was another kind of woven into that, that one to three year period of time when I was, was figuring out how I was going to be a full-time artist. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I feel like I landed on my, my medium and my subject matter all at the same time. Okay. And so to the listeners, I specialize in informational art, specifically maps and any kind of like charts or graphs. And I always have an educational component to my art because mm-hmm. that's what lights me up. That's what I'm interested in. Like I've done a chart of the, all the presidents. I've um, like, I've got a citrus chart of the most common kinds of citrus and how they're all related to like four genetic ancestors. And, uh, you know, through my art, I'm exploring information and, yeah. and I, it feels really sustainable to me. Um, I may, I love making maps. I might not always do that, but I think I'll always do informational art. Yeah. Very cool. So as you were kind of working through that, um, when you were starting to do art, what did you, or I guess, when did you do your, like actually do your first sale of your, of the art you had been working oh, on? Oh, sure. That's a great question. Well, I, I kind of had a period in the spring early on where I, I made a lot of pieces, like maybe six pieces. And I started getting friends asking me for prints. Mm -hmm. So then I was like, oh boy, I got to figure out how to make prints of my art. I had no idea. Like, do I take my own photos? Do I get this scanned? And I had some connections in Everett with the local, some local artists in a frame shop. And they told me, well, you know, you can get a fine, here's our fine art printer that we use. Why don't you use him? And then I um, got a batch of prints made up and that's when I opened my Etsy store. So I was like, okay, now I have a product. (laughs) So I think I had like, you know, six different drawings on Etsy. And I think I made maybe like three sales for that first year. Like maybe it was part of a year. Yeah. And then the next year I think I made 12 sales. And I remember the first one I got was from a woman who lived in the Midwest who I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was a big deal. My first online sale to someone I didn't know. Yeah. And then I started doing um, pop-up festivals. That was a big step. I did a, I paid $40 and got a little cardboard table that was like three feet by three feet and did an Everett Maker's Market Okay. in downtown Everett. 
and made a couple hundred dollars. That was pretty exciting. So, it, you know, it was that kind of a thing. Like I definitely put more money into the business for yeah. the first few years. And then my Etsy shop did grow. I remember I had a big goal of making 200 sales. I think this was year, th- year four of my transition okay. plan. And I, I got 200 sales over the course of a year, which is, is great, but that's still not the kind of like, that's not going to pay my mortgage, you right. know? <laughs> so I was supplementing it through doing commissions for people. So okay. a lot of portraits. I drew a lot of animals. I did started painting people's houses, like not actually painting their house, but painting a portrait of their home. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes just to clarify. And um, I got advice early on to diversify how I made my income as an artist. So um, now I make my art through, I make my income through selling wholesale to stores. I sell direct to customers through art festivals and art markets. I license some of my work. So the image is used, let's say, on a website and they pay me to use a map on their website. Then I have gotten a little into publishing. I did get to illustrate a children's book, which was my dream two years ago. It came out. Um, and then through commercial work for, for clients. So I, and that has really helped me weather like last year (laughs) in 2020, because I had, um, all my income from art festivals completely dried up. Uh, I had one art festival before the pandemic started in the spring of 2020. And then for example, in 2019, I did 27 art festivals and art events throughout the year and 2020 I did one. (laughs) So that whole income source completely dried up, which was about a third of my business but I was really able to pivot towards taking commission work from individuals okay. and from businesses. And my online sales dramatically increased because people are awesome and value art and started shopping on Etsy. Yeah. <laughs> and and um, I launched my own store through my um, elizabethperson.com and people could buy directly from me. So I just felt really grateful to my customers. And yeah. then um, I was also thankful for a business plan that allowed for flexibility yeah. in how I make my income. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. I think, um, yeah. I mean, it. I you meet all types when it comes to artists, um, people that come from all different walks of how they got to that. Um, but I can definitely see all of the your business experience on that end of um, building out your art business because you've done so much more in that than just sticking with this very single faceted you know, this is what I want to do and this is what I'm going to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely been a mix of. You know, with art, you have to listen to your instincts and your guts and your likes and dislikes. But with the business of art, sometimes you don't just do what you want to do. Yeah. <laughs> like, I have to spend time marketing, which I don't love. I have to spend time um, making art that maybe isn't my cup of tea, but is within what I can do, especially early on. Yeah. You know, you don't just get to paint exactly what you want <laughs> right. to be successful. I think it's pretty rare for an artist's experience to be they are only doing what they like all the time. Yeah. And so in that way, it's not different, too different than any other job. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, very cool. So um, upon specializing in, or, you know, you were kind of working out your medium and, and what you really wanted to do. Um, after year five, um, what was that like for you when you were, you know, what was it like for you quitting and then actually day one starting on your own? Yeah, um, well, I was... I, I really enjoyed my job. I really enjoyed who I worked with when I was a graphic designer for that children's company. But I was very excited to give notice yeah. and be able to do all my art full time. And I remember I left at the beginning of August. And then the next day I went up to Bellingham and bought a car that could fit all my art supplies when I did art festivals. 
because I had a I had a Toyota Camry and I got a <laughs> Honda Element, which is like that car looks like a toaster. Uh-huh. You know, it's like completely square, <laughs> fits so much stuff. It's awesome. So I remember pe- my coworkers were teasing me that I, you know, blew a couple thousand dollars immediately after quitting my job. Mm-hmm. And then um, I got really fortunate in that I got an email two weeks after I left my job asking if I wanted to illustrate a children's book. Um, and that was an email from a children's book editor from a publishing company here in the Northwest called uh, Sasquatch Books. Okay. And their children's imprint is Little Bigfoot. <laughs> and that book ended up being To Live on an Island. And it was written by Emma Bland Smith. And it's about a day in the life of a little boy who lives in the San Juan Islands. Okay. And because my dad is a pilot, I grew up flying to the San Juan Islands every summer. Yeah. And, it, you know, because it's so much faster. When we, when we flew to the islands, it would be about a 20-minute flight versus a <laughs> three-hour ferry, you know, which I love the ferries, but it's a long haul to drive right. to. Anacortes, take a ferry. <laughs> so um, I've been to the San Juans, like I've spent a lot of time there. So being able to illustrate a book set there was really special. Yeah. And it was also a large chunk of money. It, I'm not saying it was lucrative, boys <laughs> and girls, it was not lucrative, but it was a large chunk of money. And that felt really wonderful after having just left my job and knowing, right. okay, this is, this is working. Um, and uh, what else? It was a little overwhelming to have all my time to myself and have to decide how to spend it. I'd say yeah. that was a big challenge. I wasn't worried. I'm very intrinsically motivated. I wasn't worried that I wouldn't work enough, but I didn't know how to work, arrange my time. And I didn't know when to take a break and when to like, when can I, should I go have a lunch with a friend and when do I need to keep my nose to the grindstone? Yeah. So it took a, several years to sort through that. It's still, mm. it's still difficult, but um, I really, it's really a treat to be able to be in control of my own time. Yeah. How did, what was, uh, I guess, what are some of the time management things you kind of implement? Did you like block out calendar or did you just, uh, you know, kind of go with the flow? Oh, that's a great question. Let's see. How did I do it in the beginning? Well, I, every, I started a little, a little, um, goal that every day I would walk to the post office. Okay. And at the time I didn't have orders every day. So sometimes I would like well, at the time, I would go one, once or twice a week to the post office and group any orders that I got. But anytime I got an order, I would walk to the post office that day to drop it off. And I live about a mile away, so okay. it, was a, it was a walk. So it was kind of like a reason to get out, to exercise, and then a little discipline to keep on top of my orders. Or um, So I tried to, like, basically, I tried to walk at least two miles every day. <laughs> that okay. was part of my time management. Yeah. And then... What else did I do? I I remember I slept a lot. I took naps and I'm not a nap person, but after working full time and then suddenly being cut loose, I was like, I'm taking a nap at noon because I can. (laughs) (laughs) There was a lot of walking to the kitchen to get snacks. Um, (laughs) uh, Kind of all the things you do when you like are first let go of something. And now I've settled much more into a routine and I usually spend about, okay, so on average, I probably spend three hours a day doing art. But that's a really rough average. I go through cycles. So sometimes I go for two weeks and I don't touch a paintbrush. Yeah. But then I'd say 30% of my time is spent making art. Okay. And the rest is not. The rest is admin. The rest is shipping. The rest is uh, hanging shows, setting up for shows, ordering supplies. Yeah. <laughs> and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. All the other aspects. It's like running a business. <laughs> you don't yep. end up spending most of your time doing the business side. You do or the like what makes you the money. You do all the other stuff that that. Support as the money comes in. Yeah. Yeah, Yes. (laughs) And just this, uh, just this last fall, I was able to hire an assistant and she helps me pack orders and helps me run shows. Oh, nice. And she works for me, started out one day a week. Now she's working for me two days a week and it'll bump up to probably three days a week during the holidays. And that's been really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Nice. So you had been doing all of these things then. Um, and then 
when you were, you know, starting to do more shows and all this stuff, how did you kind of, like, did you just kind of open it up and do as many shows as you could? Or did you kind of try them all and then figure out which ones you really like? Yeah, the latter. I tried a lot. I just figured, why not? You know, and um, I, I should say, too, at the time I wasn't married and I don't have children. So mm -hmm. I know that opens up options. And if you are married or have children or, you know, there are a lot of or taking care of someone, a parent, you know, you don't have as much flexibility. I had a lot of flexibility. Yeah. So that was one asset I had where I could try a lot of different things. So I tried a lot of different shows. Yeah. <laughs> I did like pop-ups at breweries. I did a big art festival, like three-day art festivals. I tried shows up in Bellingham, down in Tacoma. Um, I even drove to Portland for a show. And that made me have some criteria. So mm -hmm. like, for example, now I try to have the fee of the show be no more than 10% of what I earn. Okay. So that was a good gauge for me. Some shows are very expensive, but you make a lot of money. Right. Some shows are very expensive and you don't make that much money. They just are prestigious. Yeah. And I realized, why would I do that? <laughs> you know, like that's not a savvy business decision for me, the way I run my business. Yeah. So um, that was helpful criteria. And then I will say the pandemic made me realize I don't have to do all of these festivals. I can focus on online sales and I can really specialize more. Yeah. Um, so that's been a, a silver lining. Nice. Very cool. Yeah, we actually got to, um, so my wife had been following your art and stuff for quite a while. Um, actually, prior to us buying the business, she was following you and um, on Instagram and stuff. And she's like, I really like, you know, all the stuff she does. And um, I think we should carry some of her stuff. And, um, and then it like, then we went through the process of buying the business, which took a very long time. And then, uh, you know, first year in the business and everything. And so um, eventually, we circled back around. Um, and, and I think at that time, uh, you were also had started working on the map of Kameno because um, you had done one of would-be Kameno, uh, and then you were making a one that was focused just on Kameno. And so um, I think during that time you were working on that one, um, we ran into you at one of the shows up there. Um, I, I don't remember if it was up in Bellingham or if it was down south. Um, Brittany had organized it, so I just was like, all right, I'll go. <laughs> You're along for the ride. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, really enjoyed like the style of art that you were doing and, and all of that. So um, yeah, I'm really excited that you get to be the featured artist this month. And um, all of the things that we brought in from yours, all the prints and stuff, they always sell out very, very quickly. <laughs> so, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. I enjoyed working on the Kamino map. And in fact, I if you go to my website, I have a blog that's how I make a map. Okay. And I actually use that map of Kamino Island as my example. And I took photos during every stage. And there's a little GIF at the end where you can see how the map comes to life. And oh, I explain cool. each part of my process. Oh, nice. Yeah. That is one of my favorite maps. I think the shape of the Kameno is so pretty. <laughs> so I was really pleased with how that turned out. Nice. So um, what was that process of when you start a map? And we'll use Kameno as, as an example. Um, what was your process when you were starting that? Sure. Well, I always start with some research. And when I do a map of a location like Kameno, I, you know, I look up reference maps. So I don't copy any one map. That's, you know, first of all, you shouldn't do that, yeah. you know. So I get multiple sources and the government, any government made maps for the most part are copyright free. So okay. that's a great resource and they have great, they're really organized and you can find maps. I try to find a locally made map so I can get local words for things. And I encounter that a lot with island names, like in the San Juan Islands. Everyone's yeah. got a different name for some islands and <laughs> I got to make a decision of what to use. So it's always helpful to have the local insight. And then I also like to find an old map if I can, because those are often hand drawn or more beautiful. Then I, 
use my graphic design background and I overlay them in a computer program called Adobe Illustrator, okay. um, which is my, my happy, my, my happy program. That's the one I'm most familiar with. I layer them and because of the earth is round and maps are flat, there's a projection issue. So for a small island like Kameno, it's not a big deal. But if I do a map of, let's say, all of Washington state, yeah. distortion comes into play because there are all different ways to flatten a round object all different okay. mathematical formulas. Yeah. So you get into like the Mercator projection and, you know, all these different kinds of projections. So there's <laughs> a little side tangent about map projection. But Kameno was more straightforward. So most of the maps align pretty well. And I can um, use reference. And so I work, I do a pencil grid, which is something that like little kids are taught in art classes is you draw a grid over your reference photo or okay. material. And then you draw, uh, I use a white, a light pencil line to draw a grid on my watercolor paper. Okay. And I draw freehand within that grid. But the reason I do that grid is to be accountable to the overall shape because I'm trying to be very accurate. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not, um, I'm not interpreting how this island <laughs> looks like I am drawing it as exactly as I can at the scale I'm drawing it. So I do a one inch grid and draw freehand within that in pencil. Mm -hmm. Then I take a waterproof ink pen. I use, um, a Lamy ink pen's made in Germany and it's a, I can refill it with whatever ink I want. And then I ink my illustration and then I, oh, I also, so I label everything in pencil first and that's, um, I can write pretty straight freehand, nice. but spelling, that's, that's the thing <laughs> I, I need to make sure I spell it correctly. And, um, so I've got, then I erase everything. So I've got kind of made myself my own coloring sheet basically. Yeah. And then I take watercolor. I use mostly M Graham and some Daniel Smith watercolor and I apply it pretty quickly to the painting because watercolor dries so quickly. And, you know, everything matters with watercolor. Like if it's hot outside, it's going to dry faster. If it's a really r rainy day, I've got a little more time to work and move the water around my paper before it dries. Okay. And I'm kind of a do-it-all-in-one-shot kind of painter. <laughs> like I don't do a ton of layers. I'm not like a professional studio watercolorist. Mm -hmm. I'm, I use watercolor to illustrate my maps. So... I'm still getting to know watercolor. We're friends, but we aren't best friends. <laughs> and uh, then I, so I'm, I'm always a little bit surprised with how the color turns out because that's kind of why you use watercolor. It's got yeah. a mind of its own. Water does funky things. You can like flick paint in it. You can do salt. You can do all these different things to adjust the texture of watercolor. And then it dries a little lighter than when I paint it so that I come back to it and see how it looks. <laughs> yeah. And then I, my final step, I get it professionally scanned and then I use Adobe Photoshop to do edits. And I typically don't have heavy edits. I try to make the original pretty close to the final product. Mm -hmm. But if I misspell something, I can fix it in Photoshop. Or if okay. I splattered too aggressively off the page, I can fix that up in Photoshop. Okay. And then I, I frame and sell my originals and shows like the one I have up here at Kameno. Yeah. And then I also make a lot of prints that I sell online and in stores. Okay. So yeah, that's my process start to finish. Nice. And for more details on the technical side, just check out my website, elizabethperson.com. Perfect. Yeah. And we'll have that in the show notes for sure. Oh, awesome. Great. Nice. Um, so then when you were doing your research for Kameno, did you come out here a lot and explore the island? What was kind of that like? No, I, I didn't. I don't like to map places I haven't been if possible, Okay. but I, I've been to Kameno. So I had like, I, I have a experience and I, I had a sense of the look of the island. Mm -hmm. I would do a little more research if it were somewhere, like, let's say I was doing a map of Cuba. I would probably do a little more research online to like, what are the colors of the flag? What are the colors of the countryside? What does this place look like? Yeah. But for somewhere like Kameno, that was more familiar to me. It, it wasn't too hard to come up with the, that kind of detail, but I did have to do a lot of research on locations and okay. I 
found like the historic society map that identified different historical locations. Yeah. And then I decided to really go all in on the detail on Camino Island more than I do typically. Like I've included all the fire stations. I think there are five. I think that's right. I think so. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> there are a lot. Yeah. And I don't usually do that level of detail. And then I also included um, some historical sites. I included all the neighborhood names and they are like in little white banners, like just the casual names yeah. that probably only locals would know. And I certainly wasn't familiar with many of them, but um, used a few different sources to find those names. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. No, uh, Kameno is like a, um, it's part of why I started the podcast, but there's so much uh, uh, oral history almost around Kameno of like the people that have been here for a long time or like the schoolhouse, the the people that have been tracking all of the stuff around the history of Kameno and stuff like that. Um, and so there's a lot of hidden meanings in different areas around the island. And so there's a lot of stuff to explore and like keep learning about. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I should say, I, I knew there was something special about Kameno people because I did a map of Whidbey Island and, you know, Kameno is cradled so nicely in it. I just included, so it was Whidbey Kameno and I yeah. call that map my Whidbey Kameno map. Well, at every art festival, people would say, do you have a map of just Kameno Island? <laughs> and I got that request like, I don't know, 20 times. <laughs> so I was like, okay, they want their own map. So there's something special about this island. People really love it. And then as I worked on it, I posted photos on Instagram and I actually got several people who gave me feedback like, hey, there's a park here you didn't include or hey, like you might want to consider including this part <laughs> or yeah. hey, you misspelled this. So it was really fun to get real-time feedback from my followers who live here. Yeah. Very cool. Nice. So um, tell us a little bit about the, um, the pieces that you're bringing to the art show here on Camino. Yeah, well, I actually have my original Kameno map, nice. which I'm excited to yeah bring back to its rightful birthplace. No? <laughs> and uh, I also have an original map of Fidalgo Island, so the kind of the greater Anacortes yeah. area. And I have a, oh, I brought a little original of Mount Rainier, and I actually just made a sticker. And so it's my original painting of Mount Rainier sticker. And that's a cute little eight by eight. And then I have, um, I brought my children's book, To Live on an Island. I've got copies oh, nice. of that available. And then I have that would-be Kameno map I referenced. I've got prints of that. And um, I've got a uh, lighthouse painting. And so I stuck mostly with uh, maps and kind of water theme, I yeah. would say. <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. So what is kind of your, what do you see as the future? You've, you've come obviously a very long way to get to where you are now. Um, what do you see as the future of your business? Uh, that's an excellent question. I think about this a lot. Um, I feel really fortunate that my company has grown every year and I have choices now, which is uh, so nice. And something I think about a lot is do I want to continue to grow my business or do I want to um, kind of keep it at a manageable size where it's just myself and my assistant who can manage it? And um, man, I could have a whole another conversation about all that <laughs> business strategy, but I think that I don't want to fall into the trap of grow, 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 you know, like why? Sometimes the question is yeah. why? Why not just chill for a while <laughs> in a coast, you know? Yeah. And um, I, I do love what I do and it really lights me up and I love that I get to do so much local work. Mm -hmm. I have, right now I have two projects for, um, like one for Historic Everett and a lot of local companies I get to work with. And it's so fun to do a drawing and then like see it on a t-shirt for the YMCA, you know, yeah. and just to see my art around here. And I used to think I'd have to move to Seattle to sustain myself as an artist. But yeah. I mean, I've been perfectly happy in Snohomish County. And um, two years ago, I got a studio in North Everett 
and it's by appointment only, but people can come and I'll do open house hours in the holidays. But I got a studio because I needed space and I had right. grown out of my home. I had a, <laughs> a room in my home as a studio and I just needed more space to pack orders and carry products and um, all my shows. When I when I do a whole booth at a show, I need to store all that, like yeah. my tent and my tent weights and all that. So I feel uh, really thankful to have options and to feel like I can, um, go in a lot of different directions right now. So, uh, I think my favorite thing though, is just drawing whatever I want and it's yeah. usually a new map. So yeah. I look forward to making, um, Oh, I also do mountain ranges. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking to expand my line of mountain ranges and I just got back from a trade show. I was at the Pacific Northwest Bookseller Association in Portland, Oregon at their annual trade show as an exhibitor. Okay. And so trying to get more books, bookstores in the Northwest to carry my work. Yeah. And that was a really fun show. And I, w- I would love to expand the number of stores that carry my work. And yeah. I'm in about 50 stores in the Puget Sound area. And um, now I've got about six stores in Oregon that carry my work. So okay. kind of expand out. Yeah. Um, but the, the Northwest is home. And I love making art about this place. And it feels like there's endless things I can map yeah. and chart and <laughs> label. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm happy with the direction I'm going, although I don't always know what direction it is. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. I think that is a, a, you know, definitely, I think it's a question as far as the business is concerned of deciding really what, what is the goal of the business? Um, and what is, you know, what do you see as success for the business? You know, is that continuous, continuous growth or is that getting it to a size where it, you know, easily pays for everything you need it to, um, but doesn't conti- completely consume your life. Um, mm-hmm. And we've seen, you know, I've, I've, done, I've talked to a lot of different business owners and seen both spectrums of that um, and, and, you know, how, how far can we take this thing? And then people who have decided, you know, this is as big as we want to get and they purposely cut off, you know, other options for themselves as far as like growth ways because they're like, no, we want it still manageable within what we've created. Yeah, I definitely don't want to feel like it's in charge of me. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to work 24-7. You know, I try to work about 50, sometimes 60 hours a week. But that feels reasonable. And, and I want to enjoy what I do as much as possible. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, I like to end every podcast with some rapid-fire questions. Uh, so the first one is, what purchase of $100 or less have you enjoyed the most in the last three months? Ooh. Well, I, I just spent about $100 on children's books okay. <laughs> just for myself because the illustrations were so beautiful. I nice. was at this bookstore in Portland, Green Bean Books, and, and uh, man, I had so much fun there. And I just think some of the best art is in children's books. I, I'm an illustrator, so that's my favorite kind of art where yeah. it's um, you know illuminating a narrative. So, man, that's just my favorite kind of art. Very cool. All right. Pretend you have a friend coming from out of town. What would the first day look like? Well, I love to show off Everett because I think it's a little underrated and uh, I don't I don't know what the view of Everett is in Camino, but I think it's a wonderful place to live. So I would try to show them how old this. Well, OK, how West Coast old this area is yeah. <laughs> and how there are there's a lot of history here. And I love um, something I love about Everett is how walkable it is. So mm-hmm. I love to walk around downtown and walk to the water and um I just, I love showing people views of the water from where I live. And I'm sure that's something that your listeners can relate to (laughs) since there's so much water around here. And the Puget Sound is so beautiful and our sunsets are out of control. And we get a look at a national park, you know, the Olympic National Park is just across the way. So I try to show off the beauty of this area. Nice. What are some places in Everett for people to check out? Oh, 
Well, the Shack Art Center is wonderful um, in downtown Everett. It's actually free for almost all their exhibits. So right now they've got a fall exhibit. And then um, we have tons of sports in Everett. There's minor league baseball, the Aqua Sox. We've got minor league hockey, the Silver Tips. Um, I just went to a Seattle Krakens game in Everett last oh, week, nice. which was awesome. So you can, you know, I live less than a mile from all these arenas and get to watch sports. My, my husband's an avid fan, I should say. My love of sports is new. <laughs> um, and then other, let's see, other recommendations for Everett would be Narrative Coffee in Everett. But, I mean, you guys have a pretty killer coffee shop right here, so I don't know why you'd go to Everett for coffee when you've got... Uh, I always love seeing other coffee shops and bakeries and um, uh, kind of eclectic stores and stuff like that. Like, I, I just actually went and visited uh, Arlington Hardware because I've heard so much about them. And... Um, it's just neat to see how other people have done it and, um, you know, get new ideas for the store and, and stuff like That's that. That's true. Yeah. No, that totally makes sense. And, oh, I will say one other, I really recommend the taco truck, um, El Mariachi. Okay. They're awesome. And they pop up a lot of at-large at large brewery in Everett. So it's a pretty great combination. And at-large happens to have a garage door that lifts up and views the Everett waterfront and the, um, the sound right there. Nice. I don't think I've ever been down that way. Or like know where that is. Oh yeah, they're on. Um, they're off Marineview Drive, and they specialize in IPAs, especially Northeast IPAs. Okay. Very delicious. Nice. Very cool. Yeah, I'm always also looking for you know, uh, kind of off the beaten path food options and stuff like that because um, there's just a lot of great food in this area, and unless you live in that city or you know people that do, you don't usually see them all. Totally. So, very cool. Uh, who is an interesting or fascinating person uh, in this community or, or around that you know uh, that would uh, I should interview next? Oh, that is a great question. Hmm. Well, I think that I love hearing from... Man, this sounds old when I say this. I like I'm in my 30s, but I love hearing from young people. <laughs> I like knowing what's going on and and uh, what what they're interested in and um, what's what's next. Like who are going to be the future people leading the city, you know, and yeah. what their vision is and what makes them upset and what they enjoy. So um, I think it'd be kind of cool to hear from like. I don't know, maybe some high schoolers who go to the local high school or, you know, mm -hmm. a, um, I don't have a specific recommendation, but um, if there are any new business owners or anyone on the who's younger than me and see what where they're at and yeah. what's on their minds. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of a general recommendation. Yeah. No, that's good. All right. And lastly, what piece of advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Hmm. Well, I, w I would say... I would encourage myself. I guess two <laughs> things. One is, like... Um, I feel like, you know, I guess like be yourself, <laughs> like people don't really care as much as you think they care. And yeah. I think that's a lesson I would just, I, I realize how much that's true every year. And I would impress upon my younger self, like people really don't care, like do your thing, <laughs> you yes. know, like, like do whatever you want. Um, I mean, like, for example, today I, I got ready and I didn't feel like putting on shoes. So I just wore my Birkenstocks with my sandals. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> like, like I'm going to be comfortable today. Yeah. So I, I would never have done that 10 years ago. And yeah. I'm like, I'm going to dress up because I'm going to go out and I'm going to do it, you know. And, um, and then also I think like your what makes you unique. So I think I'm a big planner. I'm a big, like, I'm a nerd out on details. I, um, that's why you know, I do these really detailed maps. I love that kind of stuff. And, you know, here now it's my career. So yeah. like lean into that, like lean into the things that make you quirky and unique and they um, can become a big asset, mm -hmm. I think, in the future if you use them in the right way. Nice. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you.
Great huh. to be here. Yeah. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Elizabeth Person for joining me on the podcast, and thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us find uh, more Islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode, you can go to commonscom slash podcast. That's commonscom slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.